Our sermon text this morning is Leviticus 10, verses 8 through 20. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, that you may distinguish between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. And Moses spoke to Aaron, and to Eleazar, and to Ithamar, his sons, who were left, Take the grain offering that remains of the offering made by fire to the Lord, and eat it without, without leaven beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place, because it is your due and your son's due of the sacrifices made by fire to the Lord. For so I have been commanded. The breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering you shall eat in a clean place, you, your sons, and your daughters with you. For they are your due and your sons' due, which are given from the sacrifices of peace offerings of the children of Israel. The thigh of the heave offering and the breast of the wave offering they shall bring with the offerings of fat made by fire to offer as a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be yours and your sons with you by a statute forever as the Lord has commanded. Then Moses made careful inquiry about the goat of the sin offering and there it was burnt up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron, who were left, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in a holy place, since it is most holy? And God has given it to you to bear the guilt of the congregation, to make atonement for them before the Lord. See, its blood was not brought inside the holy place. Indeed, you should have eaten it in a holy place, as I commanded." And Aaron said to Moses, Look, this day they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and such things have befallen me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would it have been accepted in the sight of the Lord? So when Moses heard that, he was content. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage that you have us in, I pray that you will help us to understand, help us to apply your word to our lives. We pray that you will help us to discern between the holy and the unholy. We pray that you will be with Mr. Horn and please speak through him today. Amen. So as we finish up these first offerings that Aaron makes, with his sons after, after they've all been consecrated. Where his sons Nadab and Abihu, they get burned up like the burnt offering by fire coming out from the Lord. This, this passage is really a change of subject in the book of Leviticus. Before this point, it's talking about the sacrifices that the people were supposed to make, how all these sacrifices fit together, how... how what needed to be eaten, what wasn't eaten, all these other things. And then through that, how Aaron and his sons were consecrated. But now the rest of the book is not about that. 
The rest of the book is about telling the difference between the holy and the unholy. It's about telling the difference between the clean and the unclean. Before it had been talking what the priests are to do, the sacrifices they're supposed to make, and of course we know from Hebrews that these are all physical parables. They're they're these things that God put in place so that they would see a testimony of of what we're supposed to do. They would see a testimony of how we're supposed to take these things and make them spiritual. So as we go through and we study all these things that the Levites were supposed to do to be able to tell the difference between the clean and the unclean, we're supposed to take that and say, this is how we tell the difference between the holy and the unholy, between the clean and the unclean. So it taught them all that it takes to do to be priests. And then they'd have an Abihu die. They die because they don't do what they're supposed to do. They don't do what they, they do what they were not commanded to do. But now he changes subjects and starts to talk about the purpose of the priesthood. The purpose of the priesthood, we know that it's to, to intercede for the people with God. It's to make all these offerings But that's not the only purpose of the priesthood. The purpose of the priesthood, their responsibility to the people was different. Their responsibility to the people was to teach them to distinguish between the holy and the unholy. To distinguish between the clean and the unclean. To teach them the statutes, not just so that they would know what the law was, but to teach them the statutes so that they would know that God is a holy God and that they have to be a holy people. Right, and it's gonna. That's what the rest of the book is about. You know, in chapter eleven, it's going to talk about how there's all these different kind of animals, and if it has a cloven hoof, you can eat it. If it chews its cud, you can eat it. But if it doesn't have a cloven hoof, you can't eat it. All these pictures are about how do you tell the difference between the holy and the unholy? How do you tell the difference between the clean and the unclean? which is exactly what it says in Leviticus eleven forty six and 47. This is the law of the animals and the birds and every living creature that moves in the waters and of every creature that creeps on the earth to distinguish between the unclean and the clean and between the animal that may be eaten and the animal that may not be eaten. And then it talks about leprosy and it talks about how do you decide if somebody's clean or unclean. It talks about childbirth, that after childbirth, how does a mother become clean again? It talks about the laws dealing with discharges, how the unclean becomes clean. Talks about the Day of Atonement because the people of Israel need to be made clean. That's what the rest of the book of Leviticus is about. How do you tell the difference between the holy and the unholy? How do you tell the difference between the clean and the unclean? But God starts by giving them an example. He gives them the example to show that this isn't just mechanical. This isn't that you just take the list and you check the boxes. He gives an example that shows that Aaron was externally, he was clean, he was holy. He could eat the sin offering. But he goes, I'm not fit to eat the sin offering. Because the priests aren't just supposed to to blindly apply the law. That's not what they were appointed priests to do. They were appointed to be priests so that they could actually distinguish between the clean and the unclean, between the holy and the unholy. So Aaron says, 
I'm not holy. I can't eat the sin offering. And Moses was content. So the first part is going, this is the role of the priest. And then God gives an example where Aaron doesn't just go, I'm going to follow the law. I'm just going to follow the letter of the law. The first thing that we see Aaron do as priest, after giving the first sacrifices, the first thing that we do is see him doing as priest is he actually works to distinguish between the holy and the unholy, and he decides he himself is unholy. So this is about the authority that the priests have. This is about how the priests are to apply this law that Moses has been giving. And remember, again, this is just a picture. This is a picture until the time of Reformation, until the time where the the people of God don't become priests on the order of Aaron, they become priests on the order of Melchizedek. And so while in this passage, Aaron sees that there's a spiritual element to this, that physically he's clean, physically he's holy, physically he's able to eat of the sin offering. He goes, but I'm not happy with God right now. He just killed my two oldest sons. So I'm not holy. And he doesn't eat. And so Aaron saw that it wasn't just physical. So how much more should we see? that it's not just physical? How much more should we see that we have a responsibility to distinguish between the holy and the unholy? Priests on the order of Aaron, they mostly dealt with physical uncleanness. You look at the spot on somebody's skin and you say, is that a creeping leprosy or is that a a leprosy or is that a clean? Are they covered with it? Is there a hair in the middle of it? Is it white? Is it black? They have all these things to determine (laughs) physical uncleanness. But as priests of the order of Melchizedek, we're supposed to determine spiritual uncleanness. We're supposed to be looking and examining and going, why do you think you're clean? This is what Paul says when he says, the ways of the flesh and the ways of the spirit, they're evident. The ways of the flesh are obvious. And priests of the order of Melchizedek have a responsibility to examine those things and not just say, don't eat horse because it doesn't have a cloven hoof, but to say, You say you're a Christian, but you're doing these things. You are not holy. That has been given to the priests of God, the true priests of God. God has given that to us so that we can say it and we can speak it and we can be a blessing to the nation. We have a nation where you have churches that that buy booths at, at Out Raleigh. That happens because the true priests of God are not distinguishing. They're not declaring the difference between the holy and the unholy. They're not teaching the nation the difference between the holy and the unholy. We have a duty to teach holiness to the whole world. And it doesn't come by eating the right foods. It comes by walking in the commandments of God with a pure heart. So verses 8 through 11. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink. You nor your sons with you when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that you may distinguish between the holy and unholy and between unclean and clean, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. So then the Lord spoke to Aaron. You know, this is an important change. This is a 
very distinct change. Up to this point, he had spoken to Aaron, but whenever he spoke to Aaron, Moses was also there. Because Aaron was Moses' spokesman. And now all of a sudden, God speaks directly to Aaron because Aaron has a separate authority from Moses as high priest. The priesthood has been established and it has real authority. And because it has real authority, God now is speaking to Aaron. You know, think about how it's been for, at this point, ever since Moses came back from Egypt, Exodus 4, 14 through 16. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. This was at the burning bush. And he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. Up until this point, Aaron was supposed to hear what Moses had to say and then go and tell the people what Moses said. Go and tell Pharaoh what Moses said. Go and tell Egypt what Moses said. He was a mouthpiece for Moses. But this changes at this point. Now that he's been consecrated high priest, he's no longer just Moses' mouthpiece. And so God no longer goes through Moses to have Aaron speak. He goes directly to Aaron. And you see that, you know, he has a separate position from Moses. In this passage, Aaron corrects Moses. He's not just Moses' spokesman anymore. To be a priest means that you have a separate authority. You have a separate responsibility from God, a responsibility to discern between the clean and the unclean. And that's exactly what he does so that Aaron corrects Moses. picture of the priesthood is about having responsibility to not just teach the words of the law, but the right interpretation of those words. Not just the letter of the law, not just the, the exact words that are written to it to say this is the right application of the words that were written, which is what Aaron does in this passage. And so when you think about that, then you hear, do not drink wine. The do not drink wine is given to Aaron because Aaron has been given real responsibility, given real authority. If they were just to be a rubber stamp, if they were, you'd bring the animal in for a sin offering, they kill it, they slaughter it, they could be drunk and do all that. But God says, when you minister in the temple, do not drink. Do not drink because your judgment will be impaired. He's saying that the priesthood has real responsibility, real authority. And because of that, they should do nothing that impairs their judgment. And wine does affect your judgment. Or intoxicating drinks. This is drinks that are stronger than wine. Is what the word means. It's not a sin to drink things other than wine except where you're in a situation where you are going to be exercising judgment, where you're going to determine what is just, when you're going to be deciding what is the difference between the holy and the unholy, what is the difference between the clean and the unclean. You know, and it's the same picture in Proverbs 31, 4 through 6. Can somebody pull that drape over in the back? 
with with the with the frittle van being higher now it like has this no, uh, the, the other side sorry there's this like really bad glare right in my eye so i keep losing all my sight there we go thank you <laughs> makes it hard to read my notes when you have this big <laughs> blind spot in the middle of it So it says in Proverbs 31, 4 through 6, It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink. Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to those who are bitter of heart. So he's saying there's a purpose for wine, but it's not when you're going to judge that it has a real effect. And so just like the civil magistrate has real authority and real responsibility, and so therefore they were not to drink wine, the ecclesiastical magistrate has real authority, real responsibility. And those responsibilities are serious. They're about justice. And so because of that, they were not to drink wine when they were exercising it any more than a king should drink wine before he, he judges what is right for his kingdom doesn't mean that there aren't other times. There's other times where kings are allowed or priests are allowed, but not when judgment needs to be made. So not you nor your sons with you. It's not just saying Aaron. It's not just saying the high priest is the one with authority. It's saying that his sons, even when they're not high priests, they have authority. They have responsibility. They have to be judging properly. Remember the picture here, right? The picture here is like 1 Corinthians 6 where he goes, don't you know you'll be judging angels? The priests of the Old Testament were physical pictures of spiritual realities. So when Paul is rebuking them saying, why do you think you're not capable of judging? He's saying, why are you acting like you're not priests? Because priests have a duty to be capable to judge. You know, your son's with you when you go into the tabernacle meeting. When they went into the tabernacle meeting, when they were standing and doing their work as priests, when they had the ephod on, they had a duty to be making good judgments. They had a duty not to have their, their judgment impaired. And their judgment was, is this holy? Is this clean? And they were not to allow that to be perverted through the use of wine lest you die. You know, it's interesting in the New Testament that God kills people, right? You know, he kills Ananias and Sapphira. But he also kills people in Corinth. He kills people in Corinth because they come to the Lord's Supper and they get drunk. They impair their judgment. They aren't able to discern the body of Christ. They can't tell the difference between the holy and the unholy is what he kills people for in the New Testament. So make sure you don't read this and go, well, that was the Old Covenant. That's the New Covenant too. God does the same thing in Corinth. God is serious. Do not exercise judgment if you've been drinking or he kills you for that. The judgment is serious. They couldn't tell the difference between the holy and the unholy between the clean and the unclean, and so God judged them with death. And that's what he was warning Aaron of. And Aaron, remember, he just had his two oldest son, Nadab, sons, Nadab and Abihu. He just had them burned up. And he's going, be careful. 
And we're supposed to read this and go, we're supposed to take the judgments that we make very seriously. This is not a frivolous thing that he gives us. This is not a frivolous authority that he gives the church. It is a real responsibility that the church has, and he will judge us according to our fulfillment of that responsibility. The church in Corinth was failing to do it, and he judged them. Don't think that God is different than the God that was talking to Aaron or the God that was, that was killing the people in Corinth. He was and is and always will be unchanging God. It says it shall be a statute forever. And it didn't pass away with the Levitical priesthood. It continues on. And so let's remember that. It's not because ceremonial law wasn't kept that you... You know, it, was be, it wasn't because ceremonial law wasn't kept that God started to kill the people in Corinth. It was because people were esteeming others better than themselves. They were partaking of the Lord's Supper. Some were drinking. Some were eating. They were getting drunk. They were committing gluttony, and they didn't care about other people. And God says, because you didn't discern the Lord's body, you didn't tell the difference between the holy and the unholy, that's why I'm judging you. This is a statute forever. Throughout your generations, the generations came and went, and they were to maintain that. But what you see is how much the guilt was on the priests because they can't discern the holy and the unholy. When Christ comes, they're the leaders to crucify him. And you see why they had the most guilt. They had the most guilt because it was their job. It was their responsibility that had been given to them by God. Instead of saying that you must see what is holy. Instead, they said, oh, no, just, just call it Corbin, and then you can, you can do whatever you want with your money as long as you dedicate all of it to, to the church when you're dead, to the temple. You don't have to care about your father and mother. Instead of teaching what was holy and what was unholy, instead, they taught the opposite. They declared what was unholy to be holy and what was unclean to be clean. And God says, woe to you that call good evil and evil good. And so he judges Jerusalem because of it. He judges Judea because of it. So as we think about this, we should recognize this is our job. This is our duty as priests of the Most High God. And when we fail to do it, we should expect judgment. They were not to drink so that they may distinguish. That word translated distinguish really means to divide. It's most often translated separate. This isn't just about about looking and saying, oh, that's holy and that's not holy. It's actually about doing the work to separate them, to separate the holy from the unholy. It wasn't just knowing the difference. It wasn't just distinguishing it. It was actually separating between the holy and the unholy. Holy is the normal word for holy that we've seen so many times before, but the unholy is a much more rarely used word, and it really means to be bare, to be, to be exposed So I think the idea is it's contrasting the earthly, the sensual, with the heavenly. So it's discerning. It's about discerning and distinguishing those who walk in the flesh versus those who walk in the spirit. And between the holy, the unclean, and the clean. While the holy versus unholy is about the separation between the heavenly focus and the earthly focus, the unclean and the clean is about the unclean are those who don't care if they get defiled. 
they choose to get defiled, right? This is like separating the unclean and the clean is like the young man, I think it's in Proverbs 3, where there's the road where the harlot is on, and the, the unclean are those who choose to walk down the road, and the clean are those who choose not to. It's about those who aren't worried about defiling themselves versus those who don't care if they get defiled. Excuse me. It's about those who don't care about if they get defiled versus those who are putting up protections to make sure that they don't get get defiled. It's about whether you desire to be pure. That's what they're supposed to be discerning with. And yes, there's all these animals and these other pictures that are about being clean and unclean, but these are all pictures. And they're supposed to actually... They're supposed to recognize it's about spiritual things and not just these physical pictures. And that continues today. The church is distinguished between those who do not care about defiling themselves for the, from those who are working to be pure. The church, the true church, is made up of people who are working to be pure, not those who don't care if they defile themselves with sin. And they were to be able to tell the difference. And not just for themselves. And we're supposed to be able to tell the difference. And not just for ourselves. But that you may teach the children of Israel. They were to understand the difference between the holy and the unholy. They were to understand the difference between the clean and the unclean. So that they could tell people. Because that was the role of the, mo- of the priest, the Most High God, was to tell people what holiness looks like. To tell people what, what being clean looks like. That was their job. They were to understand it so they could teach others. Moses had been relaying what God had said to to him. He had been relaying, relaying it to them. But now that they were consecrated as priests, they had the responsibility not just to regurgitate the law. They had the responsibility to go, this is how it applies. If the situation was too difficult, it was supposed to be appealed to the high priest and the other Levites to determine what does it mean. This is what their job was. Not just to fulfill the letter of the law, but to understand the spirit of the law. They were to do what Jesus did on the Sermon on the Mount. That's what their job was. And instead, they just made it about the letter. And so much of the modern church doesn't even make it about the letter. They go, the law is gone, the modern visible church. The law is gone. Instead of doing what Jesus did with the law. Say the law is saying these things are wrong so that you can understand that that means there's a whole bunch of things underlying those things that are also wrong. It's wrong to commit perjury, but lying lips are wrong. It's wrong to commit perjury, but it's also wrong to deceive. But instead, what they did is they said, you can lie as long as you just say, I'm swearing by the, the gold on the temple rather than swearing by God. And the modern church isn't that much different. We need to make sure that we are. So they were to teach the children of Israel all the statutes. And again, this doesn't mean they were supposed to just teach the, the exact words, although nothing that they taught should have ever been in contradiction to the exact words. But they were to teach it the way, the way Paul says it, like when he says what? You think when, when God was writing about do not muzzle the ox, when he treads out the grain that he's talking about ox? That's how they were supposed to teach the statutes. The same way we're supposed to teach the statutes. 
Only we've been given the Holy Spirit so that we have the spirit of truth. We have the one that guides to truth so that we have the ability to teach the statutes that they never had. So we're supposed to not just, they were and we are, supposed to not just say this is what the the case law says, but they're supposed to understand, so what does this mean? What does it mean to be holy? What does it mean? How does this get applied into life, into the other more complicated situations than the simple situations that, that Moses describes. It's this idea of case law, and the ones that had the responsibility to interpret the case law of Moses was the priesthood. They were the Levitical priests. They are now those who are priests on the order of Melchizedek. So all the statutes which the Lord had spoken to them, They were to apply those statutes. They're not supposed to invalidate the statutes, ignore the statutes. They were given to them by the hand of Moses. They were delivered, but they required proper interpretation. They required proper expansion so that they understood all the things they applied to. Verses 12 through 15. And Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons who were left. Take the grain offering that remains of the offerings made by fire to the Lord and eat it without leaven beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place, because it is your due and your son's due, of the sacrifices made by fire to the Lord. For so I have been commanded, the breast of the wave offering, and the thigh of the heave offering, you shall eat in a clean place, you, your sons, and your daughters with you. For they are your due and your son's due, which was given from the sacrifices of peace which are given from the sacrifices of peace offerings. Of the children of Israel. The thigh of the heave offering and the breast of the wave offering they shall bring with the offerings of fat made by fire to offer as a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be yours and your sons with you by a statute forever as the Lord has commanded. So now Moses speaks to Aaron. God had just spoken to Aaron, but now Moses speaks to him and to Eleazar and to Ithamar, the two younger sons who were the sons who were left, the the two of the four that hadn't been burned up as burnt offerings. And Moses is going to again tell them the law. He's going to instruct them in the law, which is right. The law is for the instruction of the priests, but then the priests are supposed to take that law and understand how to apply it more broadly, how to apply it so that you discern between the holy and the unholy. The actions of the priests are not to be separate from the law but there to be an implementation of the law. So then he tells them, take the grain offering. When they did the offering for the people, they burned a memorial of the grain offering, but the rest was for the priests. And for the priests and for the male children of the priests, it was to be divided evenly between the priests and the priests that they and their sons could eat of it. All the males of the house of Aaron could eat of it. Not their wives, not their daughters, just the males. But even those who are not yet of age of being priests, they were allowed to eat of it. The picture is the, the word of God nourishes not just those who are his, but also those who, are, who God is working on with his word to bring them, to draw them, those who will be priests, not just those who are priests. And so the priests could eat of the word of God. But they had to eat it in the holy place, which would be, since they were to eat it next to the altar, this would be the courtyard of the tabernacle and not just in the tabernacle itself. 
but they weren't allowed to take it out. They weren't allowed to eat it outside of the, of the courtyard of the tabernacle. So they would eat that remains of the offerings made by fire to the Lord. They would take a handful of it but they, that they burned as a memorial, but the rest of that offering was holy, and it was set apart for the sons of Aaron, which they were to understand that they were to be a holy people. They were to be a separate people. And so God sets them apart. He sets just the priests apart to eat the bread or to eat the grain offering. And they were to eat it without leaven. They weren't allowed to make bread in it that rose. Right? They were to, the picture of the unadulterated word of God. They weren't to add to it. They weren't to make it do things to make it more acceptable. They were just supposed to eat it. They were supposed to consume it as, as God gave it. Not that it couldn't be prepared, but that it couldn't be prepared with leaven. They couldn't add other things to it. So they were supposed to eat it beside the altar. This would be the altar burnt offering. It's through the sacrifice of Christ. They were supposed to recognize it's through the sacrifice of Christ that we can receive his word, that we can understand his word. And they were to eat it, to be reminded that it was because of the sacrifice of the burnt offering, because that memorial was burned, that it was holy, and that it was effectual. The word of God is effectual because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And they go, for it is most holy. Obviously, it's a picture of the word of God, so it's most holy. And, and as with other places in the Old Testament where it's translated most holy, it's just the word repeated. This is a holy, holy offering. And so you shall eat it in a holy place. They had to eat it in a holy place because it wasn't to be defiled. This is an important phrase when you try to consume the word of God and you're not in a holy place. If instead you're walking in the flesh, if you're not walking in the spirit, understand you'll add leaven to it. Your sin adds leaven to the word of God. It twists how you hold it. That's Second Peter 2, how they twist the word of God to their own destruction. If you're not in a holy place, if you're not cleansed by the word of God, if you're not, if you're not cleansed by the Holy Spirit, if you're a slave of the flesh, the word of God will bring judgment on you. Because it is your due. It's what they earn by making the offerings, by doing the work of other people or for other people by making the offerings. It's, it's their hire. It's their reward. And it's their sons due. It's also fitting for them. God gives us his word. It is our due. It is what we have a right to. Whether, we're, whether we think of these various pictures as his bride, we have a right to understand what he expects of us. As his slave, we have a right to understand what he expects of us. As his adopted children, we have the right to understand what he expects of us. As his subjects, we have a right to understand what he expects of us. His word is our due. Because when he brings us into relationship with him as our authority, he has a responsibility to tell us what he wants us to do. It becomes what what is due us. Just like it's... You shouldn't just spank your children if you never tell them what they're supposed to do. You shouldn't just arbitrarily punish them. Instead, they have a right to know what your expectations are. And so it's their son's due. Of the sacrifices made by fire to the Lord. 
It's the main thing that they receive out of the, making the sacrifice. Yeah, they receive the, the thigh, they receive the breast, but the main thing is they receive the grain offering. That's how significant the grain offering, this picture of the word is. It's nice to have that piece of meat. But it's, it's what they're due. It's what they need is the word of God, the grain offering. And he says, for so I have commanded. This is Moses just saying, this is what I said before. This is not something new. I'm just explaining what I explained before. And then the breast of the wave offering this is not the grain offering. This is now talking about the peace offering. The peace offering, the breast of it, which would be like the stomach part of the animal, the, the muscle there, that they would receive that. And they'd receive the thigh of the heave offering. It was the right thigh of the animals that were sacrificed for peace offerings. The entrails were burnt, but all the other meat was given back to the person that offered it, who was then supposed to share it because it all had to be burned up the third day or the first day. But this is a picture of the people of God get the best part of the blessing. When people work to serve God, when they work to make sacrifices to God, even when it's a God that, that they really don't know, there's a real blessing to it. There's a real blessing that God gives. And so they were supposed to eat that in the holy place too. It was an offering made by fire, so it needed to be eaten in the in a clean place but it was not just for the priests and for the sons of the priests you your sons and your daughters with you they were all able to eat it all of them were able to receive the peace offering you know it's interesting that the wife isn't mentioned here but from numbers 18 it's clear that she could eat it so could the slaves in the household eat it anybody that was part of the household could eat could eat the the wave offering and the heave offering is here's I mean this is the picture the picture is you know first Corinthians 7 the idea is that that there is real blessings on the household when a priest is there whether it's the mother whether it's the father this is why the uh, believing wife shouldn't leave her unbelieving husband it's because they receive that family receives the peace offering they receive it they they have blessings from God because of it they get to eat of it they're made more holy. Their sin is constrained. So the whole household, the whole family could eat of it, could partake of the heave and the wave offerings. For they are your due and your sons do. It's the wages that were earned by doing the offering. When we make the sacrifices, God gives real blessings. There's real blessings of having peace with God when we do the right things, when we do the things that we should do, it's easy for us to look and go, this isn't going to work out well. But God says, trust me, the peace offerings will be a blessing to you. Which were given from the sacrifice of the peace offering. The picture is that the ways of God, walking as a living sacrifice, has real blessings to the people. It has real blessings to the people around you. But the greatest reward is for the priest. The greatest reward is for the people that, that actually sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ, that actually die to themselves and live for Christ and pick up their cross and follow him. There's a real blessing of preaching the gospel, of teaching the people to obey all things that Christ has commanded. The people get a peace offering from that.
the priests that do that get a peace offering. They, they receive the best parts of it. The peace offerings of the children of Israel, the sacrifices that other people made, the priests are the ones that get the best parts. The thigh of the heave offering, this is the right thigh. They would lift it up to make sure that every under, everybody understood that the blessings came from God. The breast of the wave offering, this was, again, the meat on the belly. It was a smaller amount, so they were to take it and not just hold it up, but they were to wave it so that people would see. We're supposed to be testifying that our blessings come from God. We're to be testifying that, that the good things we have in this life, the peace, the joy, the righteousness, they all come from God. They're all, they're all a gift of God. They're all a blessing from God. So the breasts of the wave offering they were to, shall bring with the offerings of fat made by fire. Remember when before they burned the fat, they were to, to take the, the fat and they were to put it on the, the breast and then they burned the fat. So they were then to offer it as a wave offering before the Lord to testify to God's mercy and grace. And it shall be yours and your sons with you. Again, like the sin offering. Or, but the sin offering, if the blood was sprinkled before the veil of the holies of holies, it was to be eaten by the priests. In Leviticus 6, 26 through 29, the priest who offers it for sin shall eat it in a holy place. It shall be eaten. In the court of the tabernacle of meeting, everyone who touches its flesh must be holy. And when its blood is sprinkled on any garment, you shall wash that on which it was sprinkled in a holy place. But the earthen vessel in which it was boiled shall be broken. And if it is boiled in a bronze pot, it shall be both scoured and rinsed in water. All the males among the priests may eat it. It is most holy. So they give them the sin offering. They, it's for them to eat by a statute forever. If the offering was a picture of going into the Holy of Holies because the blood was sprinkled before the veil, then it gets burned outside the camp. If it's a picture of the, the blessings of being a sin offering, of people being convicted of their sin, the priests are the ones who receive the blessing. They're to eat it, and that's to continue forever as the Lord has commanded. Verses 16 through 20. Then Moses made careful inquiry about the goat of the sin offering. And there it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron who were left, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in a holy place, since it is most holy? And God has given it to you to bear the guilt of the congregation, to make atonement for them before the Lord. See, its blood was not brought inside the holy place. Indeed, you should have eaten it in a holy place, as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Look, this day they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. And such things have befallen me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would it have been accepted in the sight of the Lord? So when Moses heard it, he was content. So Moses made careful inquiry. And just like the most holy is just holy repeated twice, this careful inquiry is basically inquire repeated twice seeking for answers twice so this is this is moses saying okay so what actually happened here the picture is that the authority of the priest is not separated from the law of god it can be searched out from the law of god if they're exercising that authority correctly but it is different than what the than the letter of the law 
Not that it's in contrast to the letter of the law, but it is rightly applying the letter of the law. And so he inquired carefully about the goat of the sin offering. Part of the reason he made inquiry about the sin offering is that the peace offering was a general offering. There were blessings for everyone who was at peace with God. The grain offering is a holy offering, but there's no time limit that it has to be consumed. The sin offering was different, Leviticus 7.15. The flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until morning. It was to be eaten on the same day as the offering. And A was to be burned up that was not eaten. And so Moses is making sure the thing that has a time limit on that it's been dealt with the way it should have been dealt with. And there it was burned up. So I think Moses is making inquiry that same evening and he's seeing that it's burned up. He found that the whole thing had been burned up. Not just that the part that they didn't, they didn't want to eat, but that Aaron had already burned it and so he was angry. This, this angry, this word there means like to explode in wrath. Right? This isn't just him like working up to anger. This is like him breaking forth with anger. I think, I think he's looking at it and going, yeah, Aaron, you lost your two sons, but I did lose my two nephews. It's not like they aren't related. And he's, he's angry because he thinks Aaron is doing exactly the same thing that Nadab and Abihu did, refusing to do what God told them to do. So he's angry because... Yeah, it's different. They did what God had not commanded them to do. But Aaron's not doing, at least at first flush, he's not doing what, what God told him to do. So he speaks this to Eleazar and to Ithamar. Notice he's not angry with Aaron. He's angry at Eleazar and Ithamar. Probably assume that they were the ones that are at fault rather than the high priest. He's showing honor to the high priest, so instead he goes after Eleazar and Ithamar and basically accuses them of doing what's right in their own eyes, just like Nadab and Abihu. The sons of Aaron that were left, or who were left. It's even, the text is pointing it out that He's going to the other two and saying, are you really different than your brothers? Why have you not eaten? Why did you not do what was commanded of you? Nadab and Abihu had done what was not commanded by God, and they were sacrificed. They became burnt offerings themselves for taking that liberty. And now Moses thinks Eleazar and Ethamar, they're taking the same liberty with the law. We don't have to do what it says. Why have you not eaten the sin offering in a holy place? Why did they not treat the sin offering as holy? This picture of eating the flesh of Christ, they were to eat it to show what was needed for forgiveness of their sins. Since it is most holy, it is holy, holy offering. It was to be this picture of separation where the people were not allowed to eat it. Their family was not allowed to eat it. Only the ones that could eat it were the priests. The only ones that could eat it were the ones that were actually priests. 
most holy and God has given it to you. He had given them a blessing and they had rejected the blessing. They had burned it out. Not the offerings that were about the picture of going into the Holy of Holies. That was the blessing. The animal got burned outside the camp. But for those offerings, those sin offerings that weren't for the priests and they weren't for the whole congregation of Israel, when they were for the ruler or for the common man, the priests are the ones that consumed it. The priests are the ones that, that got that blessing. There's a picture of bearing the guilt of the congregation. Remember, throughout, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, but throughout the Old Testament, the prophets of the Most High God, they bear the sins of the people. As we're going through Jeremiah, you see how Jeremiah bears the sins of the people. You will suffer much at their, names, at their hands' sake. This is what Christ says to his apostles. They bear the sin of the people, and eating the sin offering is that picture that because of the people being with sin, being, being unwilling to turn from their sin when their sin is made known, they bear the sin. They bear the effect of that sin. They bear the guilt of the congregation. It's that picture of Christ saying, they hated me, so they'll hate you. True prophets bear the sin of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord. It was the means that God used to bring repentance to Israel. It's the means that God uses, continues to use to bring repentance to the elect. It's not just preaching the word. It's also bearing the sins of the people, suffering as Christ suffered. That the world can't understand why anybody would do that. That's eating the sin offering. Then Moses said, see, and there's a, a greater effort that, excuse me, before he said, behold, to them. And when he says, behold, to them, he's telling them, look and see what's going on. It's actually two words here. It's, it's like you yourselves behold. It's not just behold, but it has a... Uh, reflexive pronoun to it too so that's like turning it back on it and saying you yourself see what you're doing don't you see what just happened to Nadab and Abihu its blood was not brought inside the holy place the sin offering was not the picture of being reconciled to God it was not the the blood that was anointing the, the altar of incense either the blood was on the altar of incense or it was on the altar burnt offering if it was on the altar of incense they were to burn outside the camp. And if it was on the, the altar of burnt offering, they were to consume it. Instead, they burned it. They, they didn't do either of the two things that they were supposed to do. Indeed, you should have eaten it in the holy place. They should have done what Moses commanded and eaten it, not just burned it up. But again, it start, the passage started with, don't drink. Don't drink when you go into the temple because you're not just supposed to be rubber stamping the law. You're not just supposed to be going, well, we just have to follow the letter. It's that they're supposed to understand what the law is saying. And Moses is saying, you didn't follow the letter. And then Aaron speaks and says to Moses, he responds and not his son. Moses had accused Eleazar and Ithamar, but Aaron responded that he was responsible for this decision. Moses had said, Behold yourself, and Moses and Aaron goes, No, you you look, you behold. 
basically the same word without the reflexive pronoun, without the, the, the emphasis. Look, this day they have offered their sin offerings. They did the offerings according to the commandments. They had done the sin offering for the people. They had offered their burnt offerings before the Lord. They had done what they were told. They had offered their burnt offerings, first for Aaron and then for the people. But then Nadab and Abihu had been killed. And Aaron says, and such things have befallen me. They were doing what they were commanded. They were trying to serve. We were all trying to serve God. And God struck out and killed two of his sons. And then he asked Moses, if I had eaten the sin offering today. He's discerning that he's not qualified to eat the sin offering right then. He's going, look at what happened to me. I lost my two eldest sons. I think he's basically going, I'm not happy with God right now. And if I'm not happy with God right now, I shouldn't eat the sin offering. He's discerning between the holy and the unholy, which was the authority that was given to the priests. So if I ate the sin offering today, if I said I was holy today and ate the sin offering, would it have been accepted? If I'm angry with God, would he have accepted it and said you're discerning between the holy and the unholy? It's only to be eaten by those who are holy. And Aaron is saying, I wasn't holy. I couldn't eat of it. Nadab and Abihu's brothers, they weren't holy. They couldn't eat of it. All of them were upset by what God had done. Very reasonably. And it doesn't mean that they shouldn't have had greater faith. They should have had greater faith. But it also means that they're doing the equivalent of somebody who who examines themselves at the Lord's table and lets the cup pass. That's exactly what they're doing. And it is not sin to examine yourself and go, where I am right now, I should not partake of this. Would God find it acceptable or would he judge me for not discerning the Lord's body? And that's what Aaron did. And he said, God's not going to accept it. Look at what happened to me. I lost my two sons. Would it have been accepted in the sight of the Lord? Wouldn't have been accepted. It was most holy offering to be eaten in a holy place, but it was to be eaten by holy priests. It wasn't to be eaten by those who were unholy, those who were unclean, those whose minds were on earthly matters. And Aaron's going, my mind's on earthly matters. My two sons were just burned up as a burnt offering. So when Moses heard that, now Moses understood how Aaron was exercising his discernment to distinguish between holy and unholy. And so Moses understood why Aaron didn't eat it. It wasn't out of rebellion to God. It was because he said, I'm not holy. I'm in the flesh, not the spirit, so I should not eat this. And Moses was content. Aaron was rightly interpreting the law even though Moses, as the representative of the law, thought it was incorrect, once he was corrected and saw this was that Aaron's behavior was in line with the law because his heart was not in the right place. It was not aligned with what was required to eat of the holy things. Aaron is 
testifying here that the weightier things of the law are justice, mercy, and faith. It's not just a letter. It's not just about eating it. Aaron is actually acting like he gets it. It's not about all these sacrifices. It's about the relationship with God. And so Moses also obviously gets it. So he's content. And he goes, you are actually following the law, even though you didn't eat it like the law says, because you weren't in a place where you could eat it. You weren't holy. Let me give you some applications. I've got more than usual, but I, I held off, or I could have done a lot more. The first application is the commandment given to Aaron has a parallel in the New Covenant. The commandment given to Aaron is distinguish between the holy and the unholy, the clean and the unclean, and teach it to Israel. That's, that's the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. We have a responsibility to teach the nations, to teach all people what God says is holy and what God says is unholy, what God says is clean and what God says is unclean. Not, not the, the uncloven hoof, but the reality of what the uncloven hoof is pointing to. That's the role of a priest. And that's the role of a priest, whether you're a priest on the order of Levi or you're a priest on the order of Melchizedek. That's the role of the priest. The role of the priest is to declare what holiness is to the people, to declare that God is holy. So God spoke to Aaron and his sons and said, this is what the priests need to do. They need to teach the people all that God had commanded them, all the things that are required so that you can tell the difference between the holy and the unholy. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's our job. That's why we're here in the world. That's the blessing we're supposed to be to other people, is to teach them the difference between the holy and the unholy. And that's why America is under such judgment, because the church isn't doing that. And so, another application. When Christ is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he's fulfilling the role of a priest. He doesn't just go, well, the Bible says, do not murder, so therefore you shouldn't murder. He goes, do not murder. Don't you understand what that means? That means if you get angry with your brother, you're in danger of hellfire. Jesus Christ is actually doing what they were supposed to do. He's actually going, here's how you tell the difference between the holy and the unholy. The man who thinks he can go and look at women to lust after him, but he's fine because he hasn't committed adultery. Christ is going, you're not fine. You're not holy. You're not unclean. Or you are unclean. You're not clean. You're not, you're not trying to be pure. You're staring at a woman to lust for her. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is fulfilling the commandment that God gave, or the, yeah, that God gave to Aaron. And that's what we have the same responsibility, to look at the, to understand the fuller meaning of the law. We have that authority as priests, and we have that responsibility to be like Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 12. Now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. 
And a husband is not to divorce his wife, but to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. Paul is saying, as a priest, I understand that there's more to the law than what was specifically said by Christ. And what's more to the law is a believing wife should not, a believing spouse should not leave their unbelieving spouse if they're willing to dwell with them. So that they sanctify them and they make them holy. Paul is taking the law that was given by Christ, the commandments that were given by Christ, and he's acting like Aaron was supposed to act. He's acting like we're supposed to act. And not just say, well, this is what the Bible says, but we're supposed to say, and that's what it means in this situation. That's how you're supposed to apply it to this. This is why God has given us. This is the role he's given us. This is the responsibility that he's given us. We're the ones that are supposed to make the world understand the difference between the holy and the unholy. That's what Christ did. That's what Paul did. And that's what we're supposed to do. He doesn't just say, hey, I just heard this from Christ and I'm repeating it. He goes, this is my judgment of the matter. And Christ has left us here to do that. And just like Christ spoke with authority at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that they were astonished. And Paul speaks with authority that we read that and we go, oh, you're right. When we're rightly taking his word and rightly applying his word and rightly not deduct, rightly inducting what is the correct response in a situation, we can say that with authority. We're not supposed to be cowardly. We're supposed to go... God has given us a spirit of understanding with his Holy Spirit so that we can read his law and go, in this case, this is the right thing to do. Now, sometimes we don't know and we can't figure it out and then we shouldn't speak with authority. But we shouldn't sit back and go, it's just unknowable, which is what the church wants to do a lot. The church is supposed to speak with authority. God has given his priests that authority. This is kind of a side application, but I think it's worth it to mention Drunkenness can be hard to define. You know, fully sober is easy to define. You haven't had anything to drink. Being really drunk is easy to define too, where you're staggering around, where, you're, where you, can't, you, know, you can't do anything, you can't control yourself. But drunkenness is somewhere in between there. There's a lot of people who go, drunkenness is, is as soon as you have any impairment, that's drunk. But that's not what this passage is saying. This passage is actually saying, don't drink because it will start to have an effect on you. And he doesn't go, and that would be sin. He goes, and you wouldn't then be capable of judging. So it's very easy to go, well, drunkenness is as soon as you can feel anything because of the alcohol, you're drunk. And I'm not saying where drunkenness is, but what I am saying is that's not drunkenness. That's not sin at that point. It's 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 more effect than that because alcohol impairs your judgment and there's a point where clearly your judgment is so impaired that you've lost control of yourself and that is sin but to say that there's some judgment there's some looseness because of of alcohol just means you shouldn't be judging then not that you're inherently in sin Another application related to that, right, is we should be careful when we take the Lord's Supper. 
even with that little bit of wine, that probably doesn't impair anybody's judgment. The commandment is to take none when you're going to judge. And so when we think about it, there's times where, I'm not sure that we've done this, but we should really ask ourselves the question, is there times where we've judged things after we drank? Where we go, okay, let's have a meeting after the Lord's Supper. Because the commandment's very clear, do not drink at all if you're going in to judge. And so as we go forward as a church, we should just be thinking and saying, are there times where we're going, well, we'll discuss this Sunday afternoon after the Lord's Supper. Well, really shouldn't do that. Because, yes, it's not that much. But the Bible says don't drink in those situations. Don't drink when you're going to judge. Another application, we still have a duty to discern between the holy and the unholy, between the clean and the unclean. We still have the responsibility to discern the Lord's body. Much of the visible church doesn't want to do that. They don't want to judge. They just want to go, hey, they made a profession of faith. Who am I to judge? Judge not, lest you be... Well, no, they never say the second part. They just say, do not judge, instead of do not judge, lest you be judged by the same standard, but by, because what standard that you met, meet out judgment by, you will be judged by that standard, which is what the Bible says. Instead, they just go, do not judge. But that's exactly the opposite of what this passage says. This passage says that the role of a priest is to judge between the holy and the unholy, between the clean and the unclean, and to teach the people what it means to be clean and what it means to be unclean. So much of the visible church doesn't want to do that. They don't want to fulfill the role of being a priest. The primary role of being a priest to the people is to declare what is holy and what is unholy. And like we talked about, God kills people for that. That's what he did at the church of Corinth. And so we're to recognize this means that he's still telling us discern the Lord's body. Discern the difference between the holy and the unholy lest you die. Another application, we have a duty to do more than discern the difference between the holy and the unholy. They had a duty not just to distinguish it, but to separate it, to create that division. The word means to divide. They had the responsibility to make a division between the holy and the unholy, and we still have a responsibility to make a division between the holy and the unholy. Jesus Christ said when he came, I did not come to bring peace, but to come to bring a sword. I came to split. There's five in a family, and I made it three against two. I came to create division. We have to understand when we're doing the right thing, when we're obeying God, God sent us to make divisions because we're supposed to divide between the holy and the unholy, and that creates divisions. And that creates divisions inside houses. And the answer is, make sure that you distinguish between the holy and the unholy. Make sure you teach them the statutes so they can understand the difference between the holy and the unholy. That is what we're supposed to be doing. That's how we testify that God is holy. When we go, we don't care and that we won't actually create divisions. What we're saying is, we don't care that God is holy which means we're walking in the flesh. We're walking in earthly things. We don't have a heavenly mindset. We have an earthly mindset. 
If all we do is discern it without acting on that discernment, we're rejecting that God is holy. Another application. We can only separate the holy from the unholy based on physical things that they do. This was what Paul says in Galatians 5. I'm going to read a longer passage, but Galatians 5, 16 through 24. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, meaning that we can see what is holy and we can see what is unholy. We can see what is unclean. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is saying, distinguish what is unholy. Distinguish what is unclean. You don't just sit back and go, we can't know. Quite the opposite. You're supposed to see. But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who are, are Christ have been made holy. They have been created the separation. Salvation creates a separation between the holy and the unholy, between the clean and the unclean. And we have responsibility to do that separation. And Paul's looking at the church in Galatia going, you don't care. You've been deceived. You've, you've taken another gospel. You think you're made holy by circumcision. But the works of the flesh are evident. And this is the role of priests is to go... This is the work of the flesh. Why do you think you're saved? You're not walking in the spirit. You're walking in the flesh. Why do you think that you know who God is? Because God is holy. He is holy. The church needs to be separating itself from those who walk in the flesh. Another application. They had, they had the statutes delivered by the hand of Moses. And so they had a real responsibility to teach. They had a real responsibility to declare to the people around them what Moses had said. So how much greater responsibility do we have when we don't receive the statutes written on tablets of stone, but they're written on the fleshly parts of our heart? How much greater responsibility do we have to discern holy and unholy? How much greater responsibility do we have to discern clean and unclean? How much greater responsibility do we have to teach all people the statutes and commandments of God? We have the ability to rightly discern them. Where with a heart of stone, they could not. We need to make sure we're fulfilling that responsibility. This is the responsibility of the priests to make a separation between the holy and the unholy, to make a separation between the clean and the unclean, to teach everybody the statutes of God. That's our responsibility to the people around us. 
That's the Great Commission. Another application. When we think of the daughters being able to eat of the peace offerings, it is a picture of 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 14, but to the rest I and the Lord say, I not the Lord say, if a brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who is a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. The whole household gets to eat of the good parts of the peace offering. A believing parent in a house, peace offerings come to that house. The unbelieving husband is sanctified. The unbelieving wife is sanctified. The children are sanctified. That's the eating of the peace offering. That's the picture. Because it's not just this piece of meat that you get. It's, it's the effects of being at peace with God. And so in your house, you are to have a real effect if you are a Christian. You have a real effect on your children. You have a real effect on your spouse. God gives his people the peace offering. Another application, we need to do the equivalence of the wave offering and of the heave offering. We need to make sure that the people around us understand that the many blessings we have in this life, that we receive them because they're the mercy of God to give them to us. They were to wave those things to go, this is what we receive from the Lord. And we're supposed to hold up and say, this is what we've received from the Lord. We have a duty to declare that to the people around us. They were to physically lift it up. We're supposed to lift up our voices in praise. We're supposed to give thanks to God without ceasing. We're supposed to be doing the wave offering and the peace offering to say God is good to his children. Another application. This one seems a bit out of order now that I read it. But Christians are to make judgments. But those judgments are to be scrutinized by the law. It's not like we can just make judgments and just say, this is what I think the right thing to do is. Moses examined what Aaron said. And Moses at first went, you're wrong. And then after Aaron convinced him, he went, okay, you're right. But this is how the law is supposed to work with the priesthood. Our decisions, our declarations of this is what's holy are not supposed to be based on our own opinion. They're based on the law of God so that you can look at the law and you have to make your argument from the law. This is why this is holy. This is why this is unholy. This is why this is clean. We're not supposed to think that we can make those decisions without basing it on what God has revealed. We are supposed to take what God has revealed and derive applications from it for what we're, how we're supposed to live. But it always has to go back and say, is this aligned with the law? Because the letter of the law is correct. And the last application is Christians still bear the sins of the world to make atonement for them, to reconcile them to God. Think of the martyrs. Think of the people who've been tied to to stakes and burned and how the church responds to that by growing. How people, instead of fleeing from that, they go, I see the difference between the holy and the unholy. The church in America right now wants to grow by saying there is no difference between the holy and the unholy. 
the true church grows by showing there's a difference. And that difference is, is usually shown by suffering for Christ's namesake. That's how usually people can actually see that there's a difference between the holy and the unholy. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. They will partake of the sin offering. They will partake of the sufferings of Christ, is what the Bible says. And so since they're partaking of the sufferings of Christ, God uses that to reconcile people to themselves, to himself. That's how the world has always treated true prophets. And in the new covenant, all who are saved are now true prophets of God. So all of us should have that expectation. Let me close in prayer. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage. There's much here. Many things that could also be said. I pray that you convict us of the things that we should hear. Convict us of the applications as we should apply it. Give us a zeal to speak your words. Give us a zeal to declare what is true according to your commandments. Give us a zeal to to declare what it looks like to walk in the spirit instead of the flesh. As the churches are filled with people who walk in the flesh. People who walk saying, we can't know, we can't see, we can't discern between the holy and the unholy. Lord, help us to not be a people like that. Help us to be a people who say, your word is true and you have opened our eyes and opened our understanding through the work of the Holy Spirit so that we can tell the difference. Because those, because no one sees you. No one comes to you without holiness. We pray that you make that be our message. In your name we pray. Amen.